0: Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear nasal spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean not just rinse your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Harnessing the power
1: of communication is a fundamental leadership discipline. Mastering the right conversation skills, it can build trust, it can inspire loyalty and create confidence. Not communicating properly, well, that can destroy friendships and ruin a marriage and stall a career. Joining us today is Celeste Headley, an expert on the true power of communication. Most conversations today, let's face it, they're limited to text messages and social media banter. Many of us, we've lost the ability to have a meaningful conversation. If you want to perfect your communication skills, don't go anywhere. It all starts now.
2: It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just
1: for the health of it. Our next guest is an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and best-selling author of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. She hosts PBS's new weekly series called Retro Report. Her work and insights have been featured on Today. Time Magazine, Psychology Today, Essence, L, BuzzFeed, and Parade Magazine, and that's just naming a few. As an NPR host and journalist, she's interviewed hundreds of people from all walks of life and has mastered the skills of having a great conversation. In addition, she shared her message with over 100 companies, conferences, and universities, including Apple, Google, United Airlines, Duke University, and ESPN. Her TEDx talk, sharing 10 ways. Ways to Have a Better Conversation, has over 20 million views. Welcome to the show, Celeste Headley.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, it's great. I've been looking forward to this topic. It's such a you know, a great topic that can really break or make a career, social life, and our relationships. Share with us first how you got interested in helping others with better conversation skills.
2: I got interested in helping other people when I realized that the advice we've been given wasn't all that helpful. In other words, you know, I needed some help with conversation when I had real. I realized that it, I thought it was something I did really well. And then some conversations went badly and I looked for help and I read the advice that we've all been getting for a really long time, maintain eye contact, you know, okay. summarize what you just said, what you just heard, say uh-huh, nod your head, all of that stuff that we've been told for so long. And then when I actually tested it, you know, went into the radio studio and said, okay, for two weeks. I'm going to nod my head when people are talking. And I realized that those tactics, that's what they were. They were tactics. They weren't actually teaching us how to listen better. They were teaching us how to pretend we were listening better. And they didn't improve conversations. So that's when the whole sort of journey began.
1: Yeah, one thing that I struggle with, and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well, when someone's talking to me and they're sharing a story, if their conversation happens to remind me of something that I want to share when they're done talking, I end up concentrating on that instead of what they're saying. How can people stay 100% focused on a conversation without getting distracted by what they want to say next?
2: It's just really common. I mean, the first thing is don't beat yourself up over that because, you know, your brain is thinking all the time. Right. And your brain is trying to sort through the archives. It's trying to find uh, experiences you've had, things that you know in order to give you context. It's just trying to fill you in, right? So you can right. understand better what you're hearing. The, the mistake we make is, is in thinking that that information we're coming up with is, is meant to be shared. It's not. It's for your benefit, but it's not necessarily beneficial to the conversation. So what you have to do first is, is understand that, that it's not important that you share every single thought that comes up. But but then train yourself to let those thoughts come into your brain, as they will, and then let them go without holding on to them. You cannot both hold on to those thoughts and continue listening at the same time.
1: Right. So and they
2: if be, you are sitting there waiting to respond, yeah, uh-huh. you're not listening anymore.
1: Yeah, same, I guess, could be applied when when one minute after somebody tells you their name, you forget. You weren't listening.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah, right. we were not listening. That is
1: right. <laughs> and then as you bump into them 10, 20, 30 times, you're like, man, I should have asked what their name was that second time, but it's too late now. <laughs> then you hope to find out. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. so that's so true. I don't know. What I found is, you know, when people are talking with my mind's water, I'll stare at their mouth and says all right, I'm just absorbing what they're saying. And that seems to help me to, to say, all right, that's information. I can't venture my mind somewhere else and let's chat about the most common form of communication now it's text messaging maybe i'm old school celeste but you know i find that form of conversation difficult texts don't allow for inflections which means a message can get misinterpreted plus you got to learn this whole new language omg lmoa what's your opinion on communication by text
2: well listen i mean i just hope people will be intentional when they're choosing how to communicate so if what you're trying to communicate is straightforward information, like what do you want for dinner, pizza, great, that is totally fine in a text or an email. There's right. no, and there's not really a whole lot of chance for misinterpretation, right. but you're totally right. What you said is on the nose. Texting any form of text communication, even in a book or a newspaper, it is so inferior to vocal communication because the, the meaning of, of what we're saying has has three underpinnings, right? It's not just the language, that's one third of it. And then you have um, inflection, the sound of your voice that you're using. So that if I say, if you ask me if I want to go to a movie, and I say, maybe, you know, I'm probably not going.
1: <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> um, as opposed
2: to if I, yeah, if I say, maybe, um, then I'm probably going to check into it. And then the third thing, of course, is, is facial expression and body language. So when you're using a text, you're removing two-thirds of the meaning of what's being said. And the chances for miscommunication just go through the roof. And the same is true for email. So, again, I don't have any problem with text or email as long as you're using it in the right context. You need to send the agenda for a meeting Go ahead and email that sucker. You do not need to call everybody up and read it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but if what you're doing, yeah, if what you're doing is explaining a concept or asking somebody a favor, then you better pick up the phone.
1: Yeah, I have uh, a guy that does my yard, and I wanted to explain some stuff I wanted, and I called, left a message, and he texted me, what do you need? So I called him back, <laughs> and I left a message, and he texted me, yeah, te- text what you need. I'm, I have never spoken to this guy. He's done my yard for years. I can't get him on the phone, and of course, he did it wrong. He did not what I wanted. I just wanted to explain it. Yeah. It would have been so much easier just to speak to the guy, and I'm seeing that more and more and more. Another thing I've noticed, I want to get your feedback on, especially with the division we have regarding our current president, people aren't aren't able to have a respectful dialogue and keep an open mind if the views aren't exactly congruent. And on this show, I invite guests that share completely opposite views of mine on diet, nutrition, health. I embrace learning from different angles. Why is this so difficult for most people?
2: You've just asked a lot, right? I mean, the reason it's so difficult has there's a bunch of different things that feed in to really, pardon me the cliche, but become Uh a a perfect storm of communication. So there's a few things going on. Number one, as we begin to stop talking to one another um, and relying more and more on textualized communication, our social skills are degrading. Right? We're just right. not as good at talking and listening to each other anymore as we used to be because we're not doing it enough. The other thing is that we have, the scientific research has shown that the sound of the voice has an unexpected impact. In other words, they have found that if you hear an dis- a, a, a opinion that disagrees with your own uh, in somebody's voice you, they're, where they're actually saying this is what I believe, you're more likely to think they disagree with you because they have different experiences and perspectives. Right if you read that same opinion in any form newspaper book whatever you're more likely to think they disagree because they're stupid and they don't understand the core concept so there's something about the actual sound of the voice that humanizes us to one another that allows me to recognize you as a human being with your own separate life and opinions and experiences from mine which means that the more we stop we're not hearing the human voices the more we are dehumanizing one another. So that feeds into it. And then another piece of it is that, you know, obviously none of us likes to be contradicted. There's a lot of confirmation bias going on. But, you know, the Internet has been proven over and over to polarize people. It sends people to the extreme ends of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I believe that we should all remain full time students. That's just my values. I think a lot of the things that I believe 10 years ago have drastically changed to my opinion today. And I live, if I live by the it's my way, the highway mantra, when I spoke to people, I'd be living in a hamster wheel, I wouldn't change, evolve. So, you know, for those of you that hopefully that's a little piece of advice is just sit and listen, accept different views. You know, it's always like, you know, I'm going to chastise them for what they just said. And how dare you say it. it's like, no, listen up, because your views changed. 10 years, right? Haven't you evolved in 10 years, Celeste?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, even more than that. I mean, think about the person you were at 25 and how passionate you were right. <laughs> about the things you were were never going to do and never going to say. I remember when I first became a parent and I said, uh, "I'm never going to do I'm never going to raise my voice to my son in anger." <laughs> so <laughs> the things that you think and believe They're going to change as you become a different person. And you have to allow that not only to yourself, but to other people as well. If you're not listening to other people's opinions, you may not change. You may just stagnate.
1: Yeah, and that's the worst thing. I I always say a ship at sea will never develop articles, a ship sitting at dock will. We can't sit still when you're going to develop yep. mental barnacles. we got to evolve, listen up, conversation with people, different views. I love it. That's why I love this show. Uh, one thing you recommend for great conversation is to keep it short and sweet. Share why sound bites are often more powerful than speaking in long paragraphs.
2: Well, part of it isn't just the way our brain works, right? I mean, uh, the brain can't really hold two different concepts at any one time, more than two concepts right. at any one time. So if you're one of those people that talks and says, one thing after another, after another, and another thing, oh, and also this, then you're, you're wasting your breath, almost literally, because they, they're, they're holding on to a couple of those things, and everything else is gone. So that's the first thing. Um, the, and, you know, attention spans have been shrinking for decades. Right. You, can, you can say it's horrible, but it doesn't matter. That's the way it is. <laughs> uh-huh. You guys are going to hold their attention. you got to keep it short. But the other reason this is so important is because conversations are a mutual exchange of ideas. If you expect someone to really engage with your thoughts and your ideas, you have to allow them to interact. So if you're telling a story even, even if it's a long story, you have to stop every minute or so and let the other person respond. Ask them a question. Um, let them engage if you're going to keep them involved in what's happening. You know, you can't just walk around the world delivering TED Talks. You have to let people respond.
1: Right. And that's such a good point because I've interviewed guests where they'll go on 25 minutes and just talk. That No banter, no pausing, no conversation. And what I found is people tend to buy the programs, buy the books, follow the author expert that's on the show. If there's back and forth more than if they just do a dissertation for twenty five thirty minutes. So I think that's such such a good point. Sound bites are so important. I think people strive for that. One thing, something else that's lacking with uh, text messaging or emails is body language. Share with us the value of body language when it comes to face to face communication. How's that so important?
2: Well, I mean, as I mentioned, first of all, it's a third of the meaning of something, right? right? Because it part that's one of the ways we know when someone's being sarcastic. Uh, because they'll have a deadpan look or they'll say that sounds great and their face will be all scrunched up because it stinks um so it it adds a lot of meaning to it there's also it's that's where you get a lot of your social cues let's like let's say that one of your colleagues is walking down the hallway and you stop them because you need to talk to them about something if they're angling their body away or kind of inching a little further there's a good chance they have somewhere they need to be and they're trying to be polite and break off the conversation. And these are things that we pick up subconsciously. And so we break off the conversation and we stop. That's where we get those social cues. So without that body language, there's going to be a lot of awkwardness. And the final thing is that human beings are just designed to respond really positively to uh, contact with another human being. So for example... Negotiations that begin even just with a handshake are something like 60% more likely to be successful. So there's something about not just the, the actual sound of a human voice, but the presence of the physical body of a human being that we are evolutionarily programmed to respond to.
1: Wow, that's a good point. You know, I analyze body language before I give a patient the report of findings. If I see a patient looking at their watch, tapping their feet, tells me right away I need to keep this short, sweet, and, and I do a 10-minute Reporter, I'll lose them. Normally, my report's 20 minutes. They're going to yeah. get half. And people with A-type personalities, uh, I'm guilty of that. We appreciate this because our time is valuable. So, uh, And when I do that for people, they're happier. If I did that maybe to you, you'd like, God, he flew in, flew out in 10 minutes. He didn't give me a right report. So I read the body language if I go the full 20 minutes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if you make the wrong calculation at the beginning and you start going long, You'll see them becoming uncomfortable. Yes. and you say, you know what? Let me cut to the chase here.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can yeah, see that. that's so you know. true. What's your opinion on like, um, you know, I've, I've seen studies if the eyes shift to the left, they're dishonest, they're lying, and if it's to the right, they're honest, or if they're crossing their arms, that means they're not interested. What's your opinion on body language like that? Does that have a foolproof method?
2: No, there's no, and you know, I'm sure you know as well as I do that the micro expressions. That were once thought to be able to reveal who's lying and who isn't. It turns out that's not really true. Um, see, I mean, human beings are quite good at knowing when deception is happening. Right. So if we're talking to someone for 10 minutes, we can come away from that and go, they weren't telling me the truth. We just don't know what exact thing it was that they said that wasn't true. Right. <laughs> right? Like, <with> you at <laughs> work, we don't know what was the thing. We just know deception happened. And it's kind of the same thing with body language. We get this very accurate general idea of someone's attitude, but we can't specifically nail it down. And I don't think there's anything about crossing arms that necessarily says I'm closed off Um, because I've seen people speaking or, or people reacting with, with, with folded arms where they looked perfectly friendly and open and engaged. So it's, you know, it's just—it's almost like listening, right? You just have to actually be
1: paying attention. Yeah. You know who really gets away with lying to me and I miss it? These people on Botox. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't tell. <laughs> I can't read it. I just don't know if they're being honest yeah, to me. Yeah, because
2: they're not having any facial expressions. No facial expressions.
1: <laughs> And if I'm funny and laughing, exactly. you know, with them, it's like it's, they must not like my joke. But yeah, they're laughing. I just don't see it. <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned, <laughs> you know, I, I want to get to this. That's important is the open-ended questions. Share that why that's so important. I think that's a good point, especially when you're just greeting people.
2: Yeah, and well, how important is it for medical professionals? Um, because we tend to make assumptions about what someone means, and so we will tailor questions in a way that is aimed to get the answer that we think is right. Right. And again, we do this subconsciously most of the time. An open-ended question is handing control over to the other person. So an open-ended question usually begins with something like who, what, where, when, why, or how, because you want them to answer however they want to answer. So you don't say, were you feeling scared? You say, how were you feeling? Mm -hmm. So that they can characterize what, what, what their feelings were, what was happening. You just leave that open to them. Rather than saying, you know, if somebody has foot pain, as a doctor, you don't want to say, um, is it hurting on the arch of your foot? Because they might say, yep. <laughs> they're just right. responding to what it is that you've asked. Instead, you say, where is it hurting? Point to the place where it hurts. Like something like that. And that's going to get you a much better reaction. You want them to think about it.
1: Yeah, I know if I, if I see somebody and it's just I want a quick hello, I'll just say, hey, how's your day? And, of course, they're going to say, fine. If I want to chit-chat, I'll say, hey, what's the most exciting thing that happened today? And now that gives them... That's a great question. Yeah. So I give them an opportunity to share, and now we can banter back and forth rather than the typical, fine, how are you? I'm good. See ya. (laughs) So I think... Another
2: thing you might want to consider um, is they discover that if you give people a chance to feel good about themselves or proud of something, they're way more open to whatever it is you say next. So if you say, what's the best thing you've done this month or this week? Um, you're giving them a moment to think about, what is the best thing I've done? And that kind of opens their brains up.
1: That's true. Another thing that you share on improving conversation skills is getting comfortable with saying, I don't know. Share why that's important. And that's difficult for a lot of people.
2: You know, it's interesting. In my book, the place I come from on this topic is from the medical profession. Right. Um, and that's because doctors struggle to say, I don't know. And and I I get it. <laughs> you don't want to go to the doctor and say, hey, doc, what's wrong with me? And she says, If (laughs) I know, right? Like we don't. That's not what you want, right? Um, But they've run these tests in which they've asked them is to instead of guessing to say I don't know, but I'll find out. And the patients who got that response from the doctor higher estimated our doctor's intellect, experience, and knowledge. And if there's a really important reason for this, we know that other people can't know something about everything. We know that Mm -hmm. uh, instinctively. And so when someone always has an answer, always has an opinion on every movie or something to contribute about every subject, even if it's like merit pay for teachers or toilet construction, we know some of that is crap. We just don't know which part. So it mm-hmm. begins to erode trust. We're not yeah. sure which part isn't true, so we just start distrusting everything we hear from them. So if what you're trying to do is build trust between people – you need to admit when you don't know something.
1: So true. Yeah. I read something that's really profound the other day. The word silent contains the same letters as listen. How can people perfect yeah, their listening? That yeah, I have that t-shirt. Yeah, I love that. How can people perfect those listening skills when it comes to being a better communicator?
2: You know, learning how to listen is, is difficult, and it's really common to blame people the fact that we don't listen on our technology, but it is not technology's fault. You know, some of the best research on listening, human listening goes back to the 1950s and 60s, and um, it predates a smartphone. So that's number one. It's not your smartphone's fault. But your smartphone does make it harder. So if you want to listen to someone, it is best to make sure you're not distracted. Turn away from your computer screen because the computer screen is always distracting to the brain. And don't put your phone down on the table. Your brain is still thinking about it if that's where it is. Put it away, out of sight. Um, That's going to help you listen right there. But also, you have to start thinking about what the meaning of what people are saying rather than just their language. You know, there's three types of listening. There's evaluative, which is where you're just listening in order to figure out if you agree with what they're saying or if you right. think it is wrong. And then there's... Uh, Comprehensive, where you're trying to truly understand what they're listening. And then there's transformative listening, where you're actually open to changing your mind. Transformative listening, you're not going to be able to do that type of listening every time. But I hope you can, at least every time, be listening with an ear to understand what they're saying without making immediate judgments. You're not there to evaluate and judge what they're saying. Um, what you're doing is trying to understand it.
1: Wow. Yeah, but, but I'm sorry. So, what did you say? I I, I was tr- I was sending a tweet. Uh, what, what were you saying?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you
1: start all over? You
2: had me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I was
1: sending a tweet. What were you saying? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: That's great. Hey, let me ask you one thing. Yeah. We, we talk about, you know, relationships. I know one of the biggest reasons for divorce is a lack of communication. For our married listeners that struggle with this, do you have any suggestions you can offer when it comes to a relationship and how to communicate?
2: You know, it's really interesting. In fact, you have most people have better conversations, more effective, in other words, where uh-huh. both, both people understand one another, with strangers than they do with the people closest to them. And the reason for this is is we begin to assume understanding. So we talk in this shorthand all the time. We don't explain our feelings. We don't explain what's happening to a loved one, a partner, or a spouse, because we make assumptions that they understand or they know it already. Right. Which means the quality of the communication goes down, which is to say, stop assuming and just uh, say what's on your mind clearly. Right. Because someone doesn't remember every single thought or or correctly predict how you might feel about every event, that does not mean anything. That's no reflection of their care for you or their love for you. You just need to have effective communication with them and be open and honest about those. Then it brings us back to the other things in terms of between partners, admitting when you don't know stuff. Right. That's really important. (laughs) Um. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I had a, an electrician. I bought a house in April. So there've been contractors over, contractors over a lot. And one of the electrician was saying, you know, I love YouTube because it's job security. Right. Because all these people go onto YouTube and they're like, ah, oh, I can install a ceiling fan. And they watch a YouTube video and they screw it up, of course, because uh-huh. it's always more complicated than it looks. And then they call him. Um, <laughs> and he was talking about, uh. A, a, how often it is that husbands in particular, the wife will say, under no circumstances are you to try to do this repair by yourself. They say, of course, of course, honey. And then while she's away, they will try to do the repair by themselves and then in a, in a panic, call him and say, can you come over within the next two hours and fix this before my wife gets home? This is common. Like he said, it happens all the wow. time. All the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, talk about bad communication.
1: <laughs> that's tough communication. fantastic. In the 30 seconds we have left, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about improving their communication skills or why everybody listening right now needs to get a copy of your book, We Need to Talk?
2: Yeah, because it's good for you. Forget about what's doing for the other person. Con- conversing with someone else, listening to someone else lowers your cortisol. It makes you healthier. It makes your brain happier. And it's just really good for you.
1: Right. By the way, I love that title. I don't think there's any sentence in the human language that gets your attention more than when someone says, we need to talk. <laughs> right? right? That could be good, that's could right. be bad, but it gets your attention. It's like, uh oh, your boss says we need to talk, your wife says we need to talk. I mean, that's right. Your heartbeats start going. So I love the name of that title. Absolutely. I think that's, that just grabs them right there. <laughs> so kudos to the title. I love that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, thanks so much for right. sharing, thanks, sharing such a great information and conversation to get your copy of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Go to CelesteHeadley.com, and her last name is spelled H-E-A-D-L-E-E. And while you're there, be sure and check out her videos and her blog posts. And you can follow her on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Celeste Headley. For my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Celeste share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast so they too can master the communication skills we learned today. It's available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our library there, our podcast library, and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important. Important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.